Amen. You can be seated. I was I got into your prayer so much I didn't even get my stuff opened up. Praise God. That's okay, isn't it? Amen. You know, um, I've been at um, chapel services at uh, James Valley over the ca- last couple of weeks, and uh, they have been talking about their dead best friends. So, um, you know, your dead best friend is somebody who lived a long time ago that was for Jesus, and they're now dead. And so they're your dead best friend. And uh, one of my dead best friends um, is, um, now his name just left my mind, Brother Lawrence. Whew, there he is. Um, Practicing the Presence. If you've never read the book Practicing the Presence by Brother Lawrence, he was a monk that lived a long time ago. But his desire was whether he was in worship times or devotion times or whether he was washing dishes in the kitchen, that he would be in the presence of God. And I was thinking as we started the service, you know, sometimes we, it takes everything we can sometimes as parents to get in the building Um, or, you know, somebody was slow and you're late because someone in front of you was driving like under the speed limit. And, And I wonder... You know, we started the service coming to the Lord's table and having communion, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it have been better to have, like, one worship song to help set the atmosphere so that we could have had communion? But shouldn't we live in an atmosphere where we could walk up to the table any moment? And so if what you're watching or reading is keeping you, it's getting your emotions all worked up, and you can't instantly come to the table, turn it off. Turn it off. If it's not producing the fruit of God in your life, turn it off. Walk away. It'll be okay. Um, That's just, I don't know if that has anything to do with the message today, but man, we just need to understand this truth about the kingdom. And so today, we are in part 26. And if you know know your math well, um, there are 52 weeks in a year. So we are halfway through a year's worth of messages on this idea of trusting the story. And I want you to grab your Bible. We're going to go to Acts 28. And I didn't put Acts 28 on the screen um, because I didn't have enough room. And so hopefully we'll get to all of the screens that I have, but uh, we'll see. Acts 28, we're going to go there. And if you're new to the series, we've been trying to understand the story of the Bible more fully. Genesis, the beginning over here, Revelation, the ending over here. But if you understand those two points, if you try to draw a line between them, your line may not be a straight line. And so what we're trying to do is take the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets, the writings, Jesus, the Gospels, and we're trying to put all of these markers up so that when we draw a line through the story that God is telling from beginning to end, because he does not adjust, he does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the story he told in Genesis is the same story he's telling today. And far too many of us believe that in our theology, but in our practice, we don't live that out. We don't live like God has been telling a story all the way through, and he is not changing that story at all. Um, this is the story that he's been telling. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're using the book, The Untold Story by Frank Viola, and uh, he's helping put context. Uh, I won't tell you that I agree with everything Frank Viola says in that book, uh, but I don't think I need to agree with everything someone says in order to walk with them. Uh, I think he is a 
born-again believer who believes in the kingdom of God and wants to release the kingdom of God on earth. Um, in fact, Frank wrote a book called in Insurgents that I read about two years ago, and it's all about the gospel of the kingdom. If you want to know more about the gospel of the kingdom, and I'll just tell you now, I don't agree with everything Frank says in the book Insurgents either. Isn't it crazy that we have this idea that we have to agree with everything someone else believes in order to be brothers in the Lord? That's not True. In fact, there were some sharp disagreements we've looked at as we've gone through the, the scripture, but we walk in fellowship with one another still. So um, I've also put some resources on Slack. I put some great resources on Slack this week. Um, one of my uh, new, new favorite Alive Best friends, Mike Erie, and a podcast that he's doing on the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we talked about the book of Matthew, how that fits in, how the Sermon on the Mount fits in to the story that God is telling. And uh, I put a podcast on there um, about what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you had a chance, um, I'd encourage you to listen to that. But today, we were in pages 147 through 150 of the book, and then Acts chapter 28, we're going to finish the book of Acts today, and then this coming week, we're going to read um, pages 148 to 150, and then the book of Colossians. And I will tell you that I did put together a new reading schedule. It's in your mailbox today. Uh, we'll try to get this online this week. And uh, we are taking a break in the month of October from this series because we've got uh, some special guests, David Boyd. Um, is our BGMC national director, is going to be with us on October the 4th for that morning service. And then uh, two weeks we're going to talk about vision, the vision of Restoration Church. And then um, on October 25th we have a global partner that's going to be with us. Then we're going to jump back into this series and uh, <clears throat> finish it out sometime in the month of January. <clears throat> so almost one full year. But today I've entitled the message, The Kingdom and the King. The Kingdom and the and the king. And I wondered, Karen, when you prayed this morning, if you like had saw my notes ahead of time or not, but Karen prayed that we would understand the kingdom. And I was like, yes, that's what I hope. And, <clears throat> and here's the thing. There's no way in the next 40 minutes that I'm going to make you aware of everything the Bible says about the kingdom. What I hope to make us aware of is that in some ways we've neglected the gospel of the kingdom and preached a different gospel in our world today, and we want to get into this idea of what the gospel of the kingdom is all about. So in Acts chapter 28, uh, we've covered Paul on his way to Rome, and I'm just going to dive in. Uh, verse 11, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Um, I wish I had time to go into why Luke pays attention to all these nautical details. Um, just kind of weird that he thinks it's important to tell us some things and not other things. And why we have to know about this ship, um, yeah, I just don't have time. But we put in at Syracuse, not New York, um, but Syracuse, and he stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Petulia. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. Now, keep in mind, he's a prisoner. So he has to have enough favor with his centurion guard that's giving him the freedom to stop in these ports and be able to interact. Remember, it was Paul that saved all of their lives on the ship. So he's gotten some favor with this guy. So, so they stayed there for a week, and so we came to Rome. 
I'm so disappointed in Luke because we have been building up this story about going to Rome, and there it is. And so we came to Rome. Um, if you've ever been to Rome, Rome is spectacular. It's, be- it's, like a, it's one of the marvels of the ancient world. And Luke, instead of talking about what he's seeing and the, the beauty of the structure, and, and we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming. They traveled as far as the Forum of Apeus and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Verse 17. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. This was his custom, remember. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers... Although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem, handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Okay, this is the followers of the way. He's talking to Jews who believe in Judaism And he is trying to tell them about the way of Jesus, the Messiah. Okay? So we want to hear what you have to say. So they arranged to meet with Paul on a certain day and came even in large numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening. It's crazy that these Jews have such a love for the, the law and the prophets that we're going to hear about here, that they'll sit there from morning till evening listening to him explain about the kingdom of God. And those of us who are sometimes Christians, followers of the way, have a hard time getting even five minutes into the Bible every day. Yes, that was, made, that was intended to make us feel a little guilty because we ought to be in love with the word of God, the story he has been telling all along. Not just the New Testament, not just the verses that are going to give us ammunition against people on Facebook, but the, the, the entire scripture ought to be something that we love and meditate on throughout our day. And so he explains to them from the law of Moses, which in, in, when you read that, you have to understand he's talking about Genesis through Deuteronomy. Okay? He explains from the Torah and the prophets and persuading them about Jesus. Now, verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, 
and welcomed all who came to see him. He, he welcomed all those who came to see him. And what he taught them was about the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we're too hard on these Jews who are ever hearing and never understanding, ever seeing and never perceiving, I believe that many of us who have been born and raised in the church in America are much like some of these Jews, ever learning, ever hearing, but not understanding the truth of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And in some ways, we need to have our eyes opened to what Luke is trying to show us and to what Paul is preaching, this gospel of the kingdom and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a, a commentary series called The Story of God, The Story of God Bible Commentary. Okay. Scott McKnight is the general editor. If you don't know Scott McKnight, he's a, a scholar. He has put together this series, and he's had different people write each of the books. Um, they don't have all of the books of the Bible done. Um, they have a, the book of Matthew done. They have the Sermon on the Mount is actually a separate one. And they, they have one on the book of Acts. And the author of this book is the, a guy by the name of Dean Pinter. In fact, I've given you some quotes from Dean Pinter as we've gone through the book of Acts series. Well, today I'm going to give you a large quote because I, I titled this and then I went to, and I started making my notes, and then I went to this commentary and this section is called The Kingdom and the King. Wow, I'm like, and so I was actually just going to paraphrase what he said, but then I just thought, ah, let's just give him credit and we'll read it together. So here we go. As we come to the end of Acts... I think it is important to recognize that we come to the end of a two-volume narrative. The Gospel of Luke begins with the birth of a king who will reign over a never-ending kingdom, Luke 1.33. The Gospel ends with Jesus teaching the disciples about his kingship before ascending to heaven to reign with his father, Luke 22.44-49 and verse 51. Acts begins with the risen Jesus teaching about his kingdom, Acts 1, 3, and 6, before ascending to heaven, Acts 1, 9, to reign at God's right hand as both Lord and Messiah, Acts 2, 36. Acts ends with Paul proclaiming the kingdom and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, the king, Acts 28, 31. The kingdom and the king are the central pieces of the Luke Acts, and our author is at pains to ensure that we don't miss them. It is not, Acts is not primarily about the history of the early church or a biographical record about the apostles, even the important ones like Peter and Paul. If we turn to Acts only to learn about the deeds of the early church, or to learn about the lives of the apostles, or to figure out how we should evangelize non-Christians, or how to organize the church, we will be disappointed. In particular, we will be disappointed with the way the narrative ends, because we won't learn about what happens to Paul. Church history tells us, pause, that Paul is released from prison after two years. He goes to some of the churches in 
Asia Minor, but he's rearrested. He comes back to Rome, and Nero, persecu- or Nero martyrs him. But we don't know what happens to Paul because the Bible doesn't tell us. It just kind of ends. <clears throat> so, yes, these are all important matters, and we can learn much about how to live the story as we read Acts, but this is not the big story that Luke wants to impress on us. Acts is not primarily concerned with the actions and lives of the apostles. Acts is primarily concerned with the kingdom of God and the reign of King Jesus. Unfortunately, the Western world that many of us live in is obsessed with the lives of the rich, powerful, and famous. Our culture seems to have endless appetite for news about celebrity lives and activities. Fed by this kind of spotlight and news cycle, it's easy to understand why readers may be a bit disappointed with the ending of Acts. The narrative, particularly the account of Paul's travels and trials, is absorbing. As those nourished by social media, we want an update on Paul's status. Paul, update your Facebook page, dude. We want to know what's going on with you. A couple TikTok videos. Where are you? This is what we want to know. We yearn for postings and pictures, not preaching and teaching. Those who worship the cult of personality want to know about this individual Paul. This, I think, is a byproduct of contemporary church life that is focused on meeting individual needs and offering personal salvation. These are not wrong emphases, but... If they are disconnected from the larger framework of the kingdom of God and King Jesus, we miss what Luke is trying to do. In America, we have preached a personal gospel to the disservice of the corporate gospel, the gospel of the kingdom that I think Luke is pointing out to us. The story that Luke is interested in telling is a kingdom story, the story of God. It's a story that is embedded in the long biblical narrative and climaxes in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. By the way, all of those are important. We sometimes talk about some of them, but they're all essential to our faith. That is the story he wants to tell and have us follow. So this leaves us with several key questions as we come to the end of Acts. Do we have ears to hear this story? Do we have eyes to see this king? Or does the noise that sounds from the cult of personality deafen us? Do the bright lights of celebrity blind us? My prayer and hope is that we will see King Jesus and begin to live as fellow citizens, the people of God, under the reign of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see this grand story of God and to live our own part in it as we worship and serve our King. Now, before we answer yes to those questions, I want us to begin to think about what the kingdom of God and King Jesus means for us, the implication of it for our daily lives. As Americans, we tend not to think globally. Okay? We tend to think just about ourselves. I mean, it is the American way. When we're in a restaurant and we answer our phone, we talk loud no matter who's around us because 
it's okay. It's all about me. That just tends to be our, that's our reputation around the world is that we don't do that. If you're an American and you're in Europe and you answer your cell phone and talk loud uh, in a restaurant, <laughs> you might lose your cell phone because that's just not how they do it. There's, there's more of a respect for the neighbor in some ways in other parts of the world. So right now in America, we're in this crisis and our economy is bad and there's all this unrest. And because of that, American Christians are all focused on Jesus must be coming back. Newsflash, the overwhelming majority of our world has been living like this for decades. And yet Jesus wasn't coming back when it didn't affect us. But now that it affects us, we're all like, well, Jesus must be coming back. Because our theology centers, the way we understand and read the Bible, we filter through the lens of us, not through the lens of the kingdom of God around the world. We tend to look down on people in other lands as if we're smarter than them in understanding the kingdom. Can I tell you something? We need them to understand the kingdom because there are parts of the kingdom that those cultures have latched onto that we neglect and we need to be a part of the global kingdom of God around the world, not just our little pocket of what we like and who we agree with here. And we tend to view the scripture in that way. And we tend to over-personalize the scripture. Here's the thing. Yes, Jesus died for us as individuals. That's not the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus died for the world of which you and I are a part and yet we focus on, get the gospel that we preach focuses on get people to say a prayer, ask for forgiveness so they can go to heaven when they die. That's a small part of the gospel of the kingdom that God has been telling from Genesis to Revelation. And we wonder why people don't actually live in the power of the kingdom of God when we preach a gospel that's just a small sliver of the gospel that Paul, Jesus, and John all taught. We've got to understand this gospel of the kingdom. And we divorce it from the community that God has called us to. In Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul says, I want you to work out your salvation. And I want you to go look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 15 in context. And, but when you read it, every verb you read and every you and your you read in that passage is plural. You and I were not called to work out our personal salvation with just us and Jesus because when we're left alone to just us and Jesus, we tend to walk into error. And so when we just start surrounding ourselves with our own voices, our own itching ears want to hear this message, and so I'm going to shut out that message because it's not what my itching ears want to hear, we tend to walk in error. And the greater body of Christ needs one another. I believe one of the demonic doctrines of demons in these last days is a fundamentalist type doctrine where I cannot walk in fellowship with another believer who claims to put faith in Jesus Christ because we disagree doctrinally on some point other than Jesus Christ alone as salvation. That we have to isolate ourselves from other members of the body and therefore neglect things that we need to grow in. 
I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. The Assemblies of God doesn't have all the answers. Pentecostals don't have all the answers. We need one another in the body of Christ. We need to see the story that God has been telling from the beginning. That's the gospel of the kingdom. As we've talked through this series about the good news of the kingdom, it's not a Christian term. There was a good news of the Greek empire. There was a good news of the Roman empire. So when Jesus, or when John, excuse me, comes preaching the kingdom of God, this is a treasonous message. And the gospel of the kingdom being taught, Rome is actually going to execute some of them for preaching this message because it's a message against the kingdom of Rome, the Roman Empire, the gospel of the kingdom. But God has always been at work trying to get a people who belong to him on display at the crossroads of the world. That's the Old Covenant. The Old Testament was about getting the people of God into the land of Israel, the crossroads of that known world, and putting them on display as a kingdom of priests for the whole world to watch. For us in the New Covenant, we are now one people, Jew and Gentile, the light of the world on display for others to see what the kingdom of God looks like. That's who we are. That's our identity. Citizens of the kingdom. So John the Baptist comes in Matthew chapter 3, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now that word repent does not just mean to ask for forgiveness of your sins. Repent means to turn. It means to break from the direction you were going and go the other way. Repent is a treasonous message. You were operating under a selfish way. You were operating under the kingdoms of the world. You are now going to repent. You are going to turn, and you are going this way. You are going to walk according to the kingdom of God under the lordship of King Jesus. We tend to preach the gospel as a repent message, but we live it as an addition message, meaning I'm just adding Jesus. I'm just adding a devotion. I mean, I'm still walking pretty much the same entertainment choices, the same uh, uh, economic choices, the same, you know, retirement choices, the same political choices. I mean, I'm still walking this way, but I'm adding Jesus. I'm adding the Ten Commandments. I'm adding morality. I'm adding a devotion time. And yet, the kingdom of God is a total reversal. It's not just a little bit of a cleaned up moral lifestyle. It's totally different. It's a break from the systems of this world. And so when the Pharisees and Sadducees pay attention to that, when they came to be baptized, John says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. You produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. In other words, show that you've turned around. You're not saved by the fruit of your repentance, but that's what proves you're going the other way. If you're still living this way, if we're still living in anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, if we're still protecting ourselves and not lying, laying our lives down, if we're not operating under kingdom mentality, the fruit shows we're still going that way. I don't care how many verses we memorize and how many Christian bumper stickers are on our car. Kingdom of God is this way. And it's totally different than any kingdom of this world. Totally different. And this, the axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be 
cut down. Then Jesus comes. And he starts preaching, repent. (laughs) That does not mean ask forgiveness for your sins. Yeah, that's a part of it. But repent means I was going that way, now I'm going this way. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, it's breaking out. If you remember when we studied the book of Galatians, we talked about the fullness of time when Jesus came to the earth. And the fullness of time does not... What that explained, if you remember, I told you about the five different groups of people, five different groups of Jews that existed on the earth at that time. They were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, and the Herodians. I don't have time to go back through all of that. There's a lot on Slack. There's previous sermons. You can go back. But I want you to understand something. Judaism does not begin in Genesis and Exodus. Okay? Judaism, as Jesus knew it, actually begins to be rooted more in the post-exile period. When they come back from Babylon, the Jews begin to realize that when they went into exile, as the people of God that were called to live on display what God was like, they did not do it. So God took them into exile, but he was faithful and brought them back. Now, to make sure that they stay in the land, they started the thing called synagogue where they met every week, every Sabbath, to study the Torah and the prophets because they didn't want to make that mistake again. So it starts out really good, and they start getting their kids to memorize the entire entire Torah, and then they get their kids that that show signs that they can do that, then they memorize the, the prophets, and then they go on to memorize the writings, then they become teachers of the law, and out of this period... These five different worldviews come into existence. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, and the Herodians. All five of them view the scriptures a little bit differently. All five of them are important. And into this hotbed of worldview mess, the fullness of time comes and Jesus comes. And the funny thing is, not one of the five has got it all right. And all of them try to get Jesus to side with them in the arguments of the day. This guy, this we follow this guy. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus, what do you say about paying taxes? Jesus, these are all arguments that are happening among these five worldviews. And they're all trying to get Jesus on their side. And Jesus is like, my kingdom is not of this world. And yet, they can't wrap their mind around it. In the Old Testament, we've talked about how the Jews, excuse me, come into the land and they're declared, they're, they're declared God's people at Mount Sinai even before the law was given to them. Okay? Because they are descendants of Abraham, God says, You're my people. But as my people, here's how you live. So when Paul tells us in the New Covenant, that no one has ever been declared righteous by keeping the law. That's what he means. Jews were not declared righteous because they kept the law. They were declared righteous because they were descendants of Abraham, but as descendants of Abraham, they kept the law to show the world what kingdom of priests looked like. They offered sacrifices to atone for their sins, the sins they knew about, the sins they don't know about. Okay? All of this takes place. But Paul says no one's ever been declared righteous by keeping the law because no one can ever keep the law. It's not possible. So there's always been a way. 
And we understand that. Now we come into the picture, and yet you and I are still declared righteous by the sacrifice Christ was for us once and for all. That's where our righteousness lies. That's why we understand mercy. That's why we look for grace. Because now, yes, we have mercy, but now I'm, I turned around, I got to walk that way, the impossible way. But if I get grace, if I get the Spirit living in me, then I have the ability to do it. But I remember the whole time that the ability to do it actually comes from him, mercy and grace. So then I don't get ticked off at the people over here going that direction and think, those idiots. But but the mercy and grace of God, that would be me. I don't care how egregious the sinner is over here. I'm not better than them. Mercy and grace only gets me in that direction. John chapter 18, Jesus before Pilate says it just plainly. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. See, if the kingdom of God were a kingdom on earth, we would act one way. But because the kingdom of God is not of this world, we act differently. Now, most of us know this, but there's a disconnect in our daily lives. In Matthew chapter 20, the disciples had the same disconnect, so we're in good company. They're constantly arguing and jockeying for position, and then the mother of Zebedee's sons comes to Jesus and says, can you do me a favor? What is it, he asks. She says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You do not know what you're asking, Jesus said. I know how kingdoms work, and I want some, but you don't know how my kingdom works. The way to my kingdom, you want to sit at my right, you got to die. That's not the way the kingdoms of the earth operate. The kingdoms of the earth protect. The kingdoms of the earth fight back. The kingdoms of the earth, that's not the kingdom of God. can you drink the cup? I'm going to drink. We can, they answered. They don't even know what the cup is. But Jesus says, you will indeed drink the cup. Every single one of them drank the cup, except John. Every single one was martyred. Every single disciple was martyred for their faith. But sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my Father. So the other ten hear about it, and they're indignant. Of course they are. Who do you guys think you are? You're jockeying for position behind our backs. And Jesus calls them together. Listen, he's teaching them. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. It has to be that way in the kingdoms of the world. The kingdoms of the world have to operate a certain way. I mean, it, they, they can't just let... I mean, the kingdoms of this world cannot operate like a kingdom of God. They can't. There'd be chaos. Oh, I got to keep moving. <clears throat> so instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give 
his life as a ransom for many. Just two chapters earlier, they've already had this discussion because at that time, the disciples come and say, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And he brings a little child and placed it among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, you've heard it said that the kingdom of God is upside down and backwards. It's illogical. And we know that. But in our daily lives, we still try to live kingdom of this world with Jesus added instead of kingdom of God. <clears throat> Remember when Jesus was tempted? He was offered the kingdoms of this world by the, the devil, if you would just bow down and worship me. <laughs> Jesus, we're like, oh, that was a shortcut because Jesus needed to get the kingdoms of this world. No, 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 no. He didn't want the kingdoms of this world. He was here to establish a kingdom not of this world. And in, in doing that, he, his kingdom is right now exalted over every other kingdom. Already. Done. 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 Doesn't look like it, but it's done. So in Acts chapter 1, he's sitting with his disciples again post-resurrection, and they're like, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Still not getting it. Still not getting it. It's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. How much time is being spent right now by the church in America trying to discover times and dates and things that are not for us to bother with? Instead of spending our time releasing the kingdom, serving the poor, giving our lives for the kingdom. Oh, but we just want to know these things, these prophecies and these videos and these articles. Ah, it's a waste. It's a waste. It's fruitless. It's a distraction against what we're supposed to be doing, building the kingdom. I know that we're not supposed to play the what if game, but I'm going to play what if I brought someone up here and wanted to show you, you know, how to evangelize someone and said to this person, hey, just believe in God, pray to him every day, ask him for help, tell him you need his help, um, be a good citizen, help people, follow the Ten Commandments, and um, just, you know, do your best every day. Would any of you have a problem with that? be like, pastor, no, our salvation is only in Jesus. We have to put our righteousness only comes from Jesus. You got to tell them about Jesus. Okay, <clears throat> then what if I said, who does God want to bless more, America or Cuba? And we're like, well, us, because, you know, we're a Christian nation, because we pray we're under God. We have moral laws. We keep the Ten Commandments. And yet where, where as a nation is our faith in Christ Jesus? There is no righteousness apart from Christ Jesus. Period. 
That doesn't mean America's bad. It's a kingdom of this world. It's always going to be a kingdom of this world. And as far as kingdoms of this world go, I think it's the best. That's why I'm here. If I didn't think it was the best, I'd go somewhere else. But I think it's the best. But here's the thing. It's a kingdom of this world. And let me say something today. No matter what happens in November, the kingdom of God will continue to advance. No matter what. Because all over the world, stuff like that's been happening here has been happening for decades. And the kingdom continues to forcefully advance. But we've been taught, well, you know, if we, if we sin, then God is going to, he's going to judge us. Well, yeah, there's a day set for judgment. Absolutely. Well, didn't God send judgment on the people of Israel in the Old Testament? Yes, the people of God, when they disobeyed the commands of God, were judged. The other nations were judged when their sins reached a tipping point, but they were not declared righteous because they kept the law. They were declared righteous by faith. Abraham was declared righteous because he believed God. Please understand that the kingdom of this world, Jesus warned us, in Matthew chapter 16, be careful, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Who did John say was coming? And he's like, who warned you to come? Pharisees and Sadducees. The religious system and the political system. In Mark's gospel, Mark uses Pharisees and Herod because Mark's writing to Romans and Matthew is writing to Jews. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. The Sadducees were the political leaders of the day. And Jesus says, neither one of them operate under my kingdom. Because what was the Pharisees' problem? There was no mercy. I mean, they kept the law, but at some point along the way, they started thinking they were keeping the law and it was their righteousness. And they did not have mercy for people who were not keeping the law as good as them. What was the Sadducees' problem? They were corrupt. It was all about their money. It was all about their political power. And when Jesus goes in the temple and overturns the table, they immediately begin to find out how they're going to kill him, and within a week they did. The Sadducees were the ones that put Jesus to death, the chief priests and the leaders of the law. And by the way, the crowds that cried Hosanna on the, the day he came into Jerusalem were not the crowds that yelled crucify him. The crowds that yelled crucify him were a group of thugs that were put together by the chief priests and the teachers of the law. In the middle of the night, they arrested Jesus because they were afraid of the people. They were afraid the people would riot. Well, what's the big deal if the people riot? Huh? They would lose their political power. Because Rome would not stand for the riot. So they had to find a way to put Jesus to death without causing a riot that would also actually got them to lose their political power. Beware of these things. Listen, the gospel of the kingdom is all about what Paul tells us here in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Remember, we don't want to be like those who keep learning but don't come to truth. We don't want to be those that don't see. So Paul is praying that we don't become these people, but that we understand the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, his incomparably great power for us. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised 
raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. Jesus Christ right now is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above every kingdom of this world. Every demonic power, influence, he is Lord of all. See, we preach this, this gospel that you just have to ask Jesus to come into your heart, which, by the way, is at the right hand of the Father, but when you repent and you put confidence in Christ, you know what you're doing? When you repent and believe, those are action words. Repent, turn, believe, put confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to him as king. Submit to him as king. People say, well, you just need to make Jesus Lord of your life. Newsflash. Jesus is Lord of your life. <laughs> He's Lord of everybody's life. But not everyone is submitted to his lordship. He is Lord of all right now. So we can act like it because he is. But we need to submit to his lordship, not just in the heavy matters of the law like murder, but in the light matters of the law like anger, unforgiveness, slander. Not in the, just the heavy matters of the law like adultery, but lust. It's so interesting that the church right now is so angry about pedophilia, and statistically, the church is addicted to pornography. That's where it comes from. Don't think that God's angry about pedophilia and he's okay with our addiction to pornography. Oh, and it's not just pornography, it's the second glance. It's the, well, you know, it's the Facebook videos that I scroll through and stop and, you know, linger upon just a little bit. And, well, it's not total nudity, so it's not that bad. And yet, bam, well, it's, it, it's a totally different kingdom. And we are called to live this way. In Titus chapter 2, last scripture, Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. It's not enough. It's not enough to just add Jesus. It's not enough to just add reading the Bible. It's not enough to just add, you know, some moral truths. It's total break from the kingdoms of this world. Everything that this world pursues, I no longer pursue it. If my 401k tanks, I don't act like the people of this world. Yeah, I'm concerned. Yeah, I have problems. But here's where I'm going. If my political party wins or loses, doesn't matter, because I'm going here. Well, like, all right, I lied. One last verse. You say, well, Pastor Tom, you know, if, 
if this, the election goes this way in, in, in November, it's, it's going to be bad for us. There's only one scripture I can find anywhere in the scripture that talks about whether or not something would be better for us. And it's in Exodus. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died at the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted in slavery, in sin. Hear hear my heart and listen to me carefully. I love this nation. I pray for our nation. I honor our leaders, all of them, all of them. And when I don't, I repent. Whether I agree with them or disagree with them does not matter. It's all about the kingdom, and the kingdom says honor. So I do. I want you to understand that freedom defined in America is not the same as where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's not the same. American freedom can be selfish, it can be sinful. But the the freedom that Jesus brings, the spirit of the Lord freedom, is never selfish. It's never sinful. That's the difference between kingdom of the world and kingdom of God. And we cannot try to bring them together. Okay? Now, we can serve the kingdom of the world. One of our visions as a church is to work for the peace and prosperity of our city. We can do that. In fact, I believe if you're a good citizen of the kingdom, you'll be a good citizen of your nation. If you're a good citizen of the kingdom, you'll be a great husband or wife. If you're a good citizen of the kingdom, you're going to be a great parent. You're going to be a great child. You're going to be a great boss. You're going to be a great employee. You're going to be great at what you do because you're operating under a higher standard than any of the kingdoms of this world. And you're going to be a friend even to your enemies. Again, I don't have all the answers, but I believe the Bible calls us into community, into an ecclesia. That's a word that we talked about last week. It's not a church word. It's a cultural word. So when Jesus says, I'm going to build my ecclesia, he's talking about a community that he's building where they come together and they bind and loose. They work out their salvation as a community and they exercise the authority of King Jesus on earth as two or three. It's two or three. Isn't that interesting? I mean, does that mean that if I'm by myself, I can't exercise the kingdom? I don't think so. But I think what Jesus is emphasizing is community. And in America, we, en- we emphasize the individual over the community. My rights, my freedoms. And yet Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 came laying down his rights, laying down his privileges. Let this same attitude be in you that is in Christ Jesus. He didn't consider himself equal, even though he was equal with God, he didn't consider that equality with God something to be grasped, but he laid it down. So therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Therefore, do everything without grumbling and complaining so that you shine like stars. Kingdom of the world versus kingdom of God. Father, help us. Help us.
Help us. God, we need your help. We can't do this without you. God, we know and we are grateful today for your mercy. You have never treated us as our sins deserve. You are kind to the ungrateful and the wicked of which we are a part. Thank you that while we were your enemies, you demonstrated your love by coming to this earth and making a way for us to come into the kingdom. Father, I pray today for every person listening to this message. Holy Spirit, that their eyes would be open to the gospel of the kingdom and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That every single one of us would repent today. We would make a break from the systems of this world. God, the kingdoms of this world and everything they pursue. God, whether politically or economically or socially. God, that we would walk as citizens of the kingdom at work, at home, on Facebook, wherever we are. God, that we would live as citizens of the kingdom submitted to the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that today you are seated in heaven far above every power, every principality, every kingdom of this earth. God, give us grace today. Give us grace today. God, to walk as citizens of the kingdom, to be the light of this world. God, not just with the heavy commandments, but even with the light ones even with the ones that are easy to disguise, that are easy to hide from the world around us. Father, I pray for Restoration Church. Help us to learn what it means to be a community of believers, an ecclesia on this earth. God, teach us to be a body of believers on display for this world. Jesus, show us how to live that Sermon of the Mount lifestyle. Show us how to be citizens of your kingdom. Give us the grace. We can't do it without you. Father, open our hearts to it. Open our eyes to it. Give us your grace. Father, over this body of believers today, God, I pray your blessing. Father, I pray that you would bless them and I pray that you would keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you'd lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. And above all, God, may you be gracious to us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.